Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We've covered a lot of the different uh, things mentioned in the book of Revelations for the different churches. Um, One of the things mentioned that really doesn't have a whole lot of description uh, is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So we're going to look to the best of what we can uh, to what I found in Scripture in in Jewish history. In Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, for those who don't know, uh, Jesus tells John to write a letter to the seven churches. And in each church, he tells them, you're doing this right and this right, but I have this against you. This is not right. And so it's some correction for the churches. Uh, And when we get to this particular one, it says, verse 4, Nevertheless, because he had just told them that they were doing some things right, he says, Nevertheless, I do have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, the first love means Jesus. We're supposed to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and then love others. So first and foremost, God has to be our first love undivided. We have to give him our attention. We have to love him more than our friends, our family, anything and everything. We ha- he has to be our first love. And when we begin to get distracted and stray and fall away, then we begin to lose our faith. And that's what had happened to this church. They were still going through the motions, but Jesus wasn't really first in their heart anymore. So he says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Go back to the way that you were before, whenever you used to get up and give me that loving devotion in the morning, whenever we used to spend that time in prayer and and you used to put other things off to put me first. Do what you did in the first. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick, which represents the Holy Spirit, from out of his place except you repent. So yes, we can lose the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday we talked about receiving the Holy Spirit, but you can do things that grieve it and cause him to leave, but you can also just do nothing. And then eventually that fire will go out. You can put other things before him. You can uh, prioritize people or, or things or hobbies, and that fire will go out. So he says, repent and go back to having that first love for Christ. But this thou hast, he says, but you do have this going for you, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That's some pretty strong words from Jesus. He tells this church, "You, you, you did these things right, you did these things wrong, but at least you have this going for you, you hate the doctrine and the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and I hate it also. I always found it very interesting because Jesus mentions them twice in the churches and mentions how much he hates it, but there really isn't a whole lot recorded about them. Now, sometimes in Scripture when we see the word hate, it's translated from a Greek word, and it doesn't really mean hate. It just means, you know, don't like it so much. or it's not. But this word is... Uh, Missio, M-I-S-E-O, and it literally means hate. It means to disdain. It means to abhor, to find utterly repulsive. Uh, It describes a person 
who has a deep-seated anonymity or is antagonistic towards something that he finds completely objectable. He not only loathes that object, but rejects it entirely. This is actual hatred. Jesus actually completely, fully, and utterly hates this form of leadership. So this is very important for us to uh, look at because we're all leaders in some form or another. Whether you're a leader in the church or a leader in your family or a leader to your friends, there's always somebody leading and always somebody following. So we want to make sure that we never begin to move in this form of leadership in any form or fashion if Jesus so completely hates it. So the name Nicolaitans is derived from two Greek words. It's a compound of Nikos and Leos. Nikos is the Greek word that means to conquer or to subdue. And Leos means the people. So the doctrine of the Nicolaitans in literal translation is the doctrine of conquering or subduing the people. We derive from scripture fact. What is in scripture is history. There are other history books that do record things from that time period. Take it with a grain of salt. Um, but the things that are not listed in scripture, many of us know of Josephus. He was a, a, a Jewish scholar that was very vetted. His, his stuff has been shown to be very accurate. Um, in the early church, Irenaeus and Hippolytus, they were leaders in the early church who recorded some of the earliest records of church history. And in their records, they recorded that the Nicolaitans were the spiritual descendants of Nicholas of Antioch, who had been ordained as a deacon in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. So go ahead and pull up Acts chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 3. So in the Strong's, it does make that correlation. So basically what they're saying is, is that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans were those who studied under this, this person who was originally ordained in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. So we'll look up a little bit about him. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among the seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. A little backstory. The, um, the early apostles were seeking the Lord. They were getting word. They were preaching. The church was growing. But there were also people with needs, widows that needed help, and, and there was work that needed to be done. And so the people began to complain that the apostles weren't tending to all of the people of the church. And they told them, it takes a lot of time to seek God to get a word for you. Uh, we can't stop seeking the word to ten tables. We're going to have to appoint some people in the church to help us to do the everyday charitable work. So they went and they looked for people among the church that were of good report, that were holy men, that could basically do the work of evangelism, because that's true evangelism. But they were saying, you know, the apostles couldn't leave studying to get the word to go out and do all of the evangelism. So these were the ones that they appointed to do that work. But we ourselves are given continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It does take a lot of time in prayer and seeking to get a true word from heaven. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. So they were happy with this decision. 
And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procarius, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. All right. So if this is the Nicholas that eventually started leading his own congregation and started his own doctrine, which were the Nicolaitans, one thing we can draw from this is that he was a proselyte from Antioch. Now these at this time were Jewish people. The only things that they considered proselytes were pagans that turned to Judaism. Right? A Christian wasn't considered a proselyte because all Christians were proselytes because they came from everywhere. There was, it wasn't a religion yet. When they said proselyte, that usually meant turned to Judaism. So that meant that he was originally, which Antioch was a very pagan place, a pagan that converted to Judaism that then converted to Christianity. So you can imagine that there was probably, and if some of this is conjecture, but we know that the doctrine didn't please the Lord and had a lot of mixture in it, so it's very likely that he pulled in some of the pagan things and some of the Jewish things and mixed it all with some of the Christian things. Um, so there was, there was a bit of a mixture. In Matthew 20, verse 25, we see one thing that was predominant in these pagan cultures that probably got pulled into his leadership, which would fit very much in line with what we were reading earlier about the description of the name as someone who controls or subdues the people. Jesus tells us of these pagan cultures in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus called them unto him and said, you know, talking about his disciples, you know that the princes of the Gentiles, right, the pagans, exercise dominion over them. So that means that amongst the, the Gentiles, those who weren't Jewish, amongst the pagans, their leaders liked to have preeminence. They liked to have authority. They liked to be seen as being somebody and being over the people. They liked to have dominion over them, control. They liked the people to be subdued under them. And they that are great exercise authority among them. Jesus says, however, it shall not be so among you. But whosoever shall be the greatest among you, let him be your minister. The word minister literally means servant. So he's saying among the heathens, they like to think of, of those that are in charge, their leaders, as being the big shot, the one who has authority, the one who's giving the orders, and there are people under me and they are following me. Jesus said, with my followers, it's not supposed to be like that. The ones that are the greatest are really the ones that are serving. The ones that are leading are the ones that I can trust to be humble servants, of the masses. I always make the correlation. You can look at it kind of like these pagan leaders were like celebrities with followers. But Jesus was like, my church, the leaders need to be more like fathers because fathers sacrifice and they, they serve and they tend to and they love. And there's a whole different kind of leadership there. They protect and they guard and they do what is necessary to tend to the family. Jesus says, and whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servants. And so really he was saying, when you choose leaders, you need to look for this kind of character for those that are servants at heart, not those who want to be seen as being over somebody. 
even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, which means Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister. Jesus said, I am the example. Lead like me. I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So, having a background in other religions, it is very likely that part of the way that the Nicolaitans conquered the people was by mixing the things that he had learned from the previous religions of the pagan culture with his teachings or representations of Christianity. He mentioned it to two different churches, and both of the churches that it's mentioned, those cities were very steeped in pagan worship. The culture, you can think of it kind of as the celebrity culture because it's very much the same. The culture was, look at me, I'm somebody. Come and worship me. It was a very pagan, heathenistic culture. I think another clue to what this doctrine did and why Jesus hated it so much is given in Revelations 2, verse 13, the second time that it's mentioned, because Jesus somewhat compares it to the doctrine of Balaam. It caused the people to fall away from the truth. Jesus said, I know thy works to this church, this is a different church, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr. So he commends this church, even when people were being killed for believing, they, they believed they stood fast who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I do have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit fornication. So he's saying, though some of you did right, there are those among you that are making it seem like it's okay to sin. They're not doing what's right, and you're not doing anything about it. You're in agreement with them, so that allows you to fall under a curse. He says, But also, so hast thou them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So both those that hold the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, God finds it so serious that he says, I'm going to come and actually fight against you if you have this. The people were conquered when they followed the words of a man rather than the words of God. In the story of Balaam, God had spoken, and as long as they were being obedient to what God had said, they were protected. But when a man stepped in and started saying something a little different, but similar, and they followed that, then they were conquered. They were made susceptible to the curse. The Balaam doctrine did it for the sake of money and fame, but the Nicolaitan doctrine does it for the sake of control and for power. It likes the feeling that it has power and authority and control over people and having others under them, and Jesus hates it. 
Now, this is my opinion. This is the best I can pull from what's in the scriptures, but I do think this is the message that the Holy Spirit is speaking, to be cautious of how you're leading, because Jesus is never okay with trying to control or to subdue or liking the feeling of being over people who are under you. That's not how God does things. So I think the word for tonight for all of us in every area of our life is to be cautious in how you lead, not to try to make things happen in your own flesh because you can move into the wrong doctrine. I think God is reminding to seek the Lord, to bring things to him in prayer, to speak the truth, but ultimately you have to just let every person make their decision. Now, a parent in their household, they do have to take authority over their own household. So a parent has authority and dominion over their children. A pastor has to stand in authority because he can't be in agreement with sin with those who are in leadership. Now, we still can't force people to do anything, but we can say, you can't do this, you can't be part of this, you can't lead, you can't pray for people, you can't prophesy or whatever if they're not right. But ultimately, our place is to pray, to bring people before God, to speak the truth in love, and to let them make their decisions. Anytime you move into lording and domineering and controlling and trying to steer or trying to make things happen or manipulating, you start moving in these other doctrines. Really, that's what Jezebel did, that's what Balaam did, and apparently that's what the Nicolaitans did too. It was a very controlling religion, and Jesus hated it. And I think a big part of that is because ultimately we're here to have our free will tested. And anything that comes against a person's free will messes up the whole purpose. So we speak truth and love, and we let them make their decisions. Now, we don't have to agree. We don't have to participate. There may be times where you have to just cut people off and let them go on their way and let them make their decisions. You keep praying, you keep fasting, you take it to the throne room of grace, but you can't make things happen. Or you'll start moving into wrong doctrine. And God not only won't help you, he'll start fighting against you. Things won't go well. So beyond the fact that Jesus hates when we try to control things, it just won't work. You're going to wear yourself out and if things are going to fall apart and blow up in your face, it will never work. It will stress you into misery and even death if you let it. You can't carry the weight of salvation. You can only carry them to the door, to the throne room, which is Jesus. You go into the throne room yourself and get what you need. You tell others to do the same but you can't carry them in there. You have to go of your own free will and they have to go of their own free will. They have to believe, they have to humble, they have to seek, they have to enter in. The best thing that you can do to help them is to make sure that you prioritize your time in the throne room. Make your petitions known, pray for them, Get the grace that you need to continue your race with endurance and purity. They need to see it to help them believe that they need to enter in to receive what you did. Most can only see that from a distance. They can't see that if you're trying to push them through the entrance.
I would assign homework. I'm going to give y'all a short lesson. Y'all will be able to go home, put some worship music on tonight for a while. Let God move some mountains. There's some things that maybe some people have been trying to do in the flesh, have been trying to do themselves, have been trying to control, and it's not working out so well. So we need to go to the throne room, bring your petitions, leave your burdens, get grace, get strength, get revelation, get peace, get healing, get wisdom, get Jesus, get victory. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.